Hi, this is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is From Across the Pond. We call it From Across the Pond because the, we put this show together on the U.S. side of the great Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you Brits refer to it as the Great Pond, and we're on the other side of that pond. I'm broadcasting from the studios of Cabrini University, which is across the road from Eastern University, where I have taught for more years than I want to tell you, and where as Shane, who usually does the program with me, uh, studied, and he was a graduate of that school. He was my student. Uh, today we have a wonderful guest who's going to tell us some things that we need to hear. Uh, her name is Jennifer Farmer. She's an author. She's a uh, writer. Uh, but most important, uh, she's into the communications business for advocacy groups. You know, we have all kinds of movements, uh, um, civil rights movements, uh, women's rights movements. Um, we have programs for candidates for the presidency and for Congress and Senate. And um, all of these programs uh, depend on um, good public relations, good PR, uh, good advocacy via the communications organs. So uh, it's really important to have somebody here who knows what she's doing in this field because uh, she's done this work for uh, service employees in the International Union. Uh, she's done this uh, advancement work for uh, Senator Ted Strickland. Uh, she serves as a managing director for communications uh, PICO National Network. Now, people on the other side of the pond do not know what PICO National Network is all about. So, Jennifer, tell us what that is. Sure. So I'm actually not currently working for PICO National Network. Uh, PICO National Network is, however, a, a national network here in the United States of faith-based organizations. Uh, they operate here in the U.S. and also in some parts of, um, of Haiti and Central America. What I do right now is I focus exclusively on social justice and racial justice campaigns, and I do that uh, as the principal of Spotlight PR, which is a public relations and strategic communications firm. If you had to cite uh, one uh, advocacy group uh, for which you did communications and give us a kind of a, a sketch of how you went about doing that and what you were able to achieve, uh, what would that be? So I would probably cite my work with uh, Advancement Project, and I worked for Advancement Project uh, several years ago, and part of, part of my, my role was to tell stories that would otherwise go unheard, but stories that were impacting our lives. So I did a lot of communications work around voting rights. I did communications advocacy work to stop the school-to-prison pipeline. And the school-to-prison pipeline is the patchwork of policies and practices that have the impact of pushing uh, black, Latino, and Native children, also children with disabilities and children identifying as LGBTQ, out of the school system through harsh punishment, through punishment that is uh, leveled unevenly. And so my first task when I work with an organization or with a campaign is to really get to know the people, the impacted people, the organizers who are working with impacted people. 
the reason that is so important is because I can't effectively advocate if I don't know where they stand. So when I come into a relationship with these groups, I have a perspective of what I think might work. But what I see uh, many organizations doing wrong is imposing our will on the people. And so part of what I'm trying to figure out is, uh, is their preferences, their comfort level, and their stories. So many times we downplay different aspects of what we have endured. And I try to tease out, you know, what's happened, who's been impacted, what people have done to push back, and the emotional toll of systemic racism and systemic abuse. Once I have that information, I am fired up and I am better prepared to share that information with reporters who may or may not be interested in the issue. Could you give me a very specific uh, situation? I mean, a story, uh, an actual situation in which you uh, got somebody to tell his or her story and, and, and how you made that story well known. Sure. So probably um, one of the highest profile folks that I've worked with uh, is the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber. Yes. Now, and I Dr. started working with... Let me just introduce yeah. Dr. Barber has <laughs> emerged on the American scene as a kind of uh, modern day or up-to-date version of Martin Luther King. He's become a, a primary, if not the primary, spokesperson uh, for the African-American community as they struggle to get their dignity and their rights uh, lined up with reality. Uh, they are people uh, who have taken it on the chin, and he's the guy, or she's the woman, who says, I- I'm going to get the- their story told. So, Reverend Barber, key person, you people on the other side of the pond may not know that name. You will see more and more of him as the days uh, come along. So, you, you were working with Reverend Barber. How did you get him on uh, to be well-known? So when so several years ago, Reverend Barber launched a series of protests at the North Carolina State Capitol. And the first day that I met him, I flew in the night before the very first protest. And he did a meeting at, uh, at, at a local church in some part of Raleigh, North Carolina. So I went to the meeting. I went up. I introduced myself. I said, hey, I'm here from Washington, D.C., and I'm here to help you with communications. You don't know me, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to help you. And he said, well, how do, I, how do you know I don't know you? And so that began our relationship. What I observed at that church is the greatest display of brotherly love and sisterly love between people who were white and black, young and old, uh, different socioeconomic uh, walks of life. And so I observed them. I watched them. The very next day we went to the Capitol. There were 30 of us. At the Capitol, uh, the Reverend Barber and, and several people who were with them, they were promptly arrested. And one thing that I noticed is they were arresting a woman who was in a wheelchair, and they were putting her behind an ambulance. So I took a picture of this woman in the wheelchair being pushed by a state highway patrol officer with the North Carolina Highway Patrol. And I sent that picture to media, not just in North Carolina, because I wanted this story to be told across the United States. But I sent it to people in North Carolina. I sent it to national media. And I said, you know, this is the first of many weekly protests to highlight what's happening under the cover of night, and that's impacting people across North Carolina. Immediately, I got a response back from a publication saying, wait, is this woman in a wheelchair? They did a story promptly. Week after week after week from April of 2013, uh, really for the, for the rest of that year, I went to North Carolina to watch what was happening, to publicize it with reporters, 
again, I didn't want the story confined to North Carolina. And so that meant that me and my team were working the phones. We were sending pictures. Reverend Barber has a wonderful um, infrastructure of, uh, of videos. And so he was sending out videos. And I was calling reporters, inviting them to come to North Carolina. And then me personally, I was trying to be on the ground as much as possible, not just so that I knew the story, but so that I could uh, build a relationship with the people who were around him. The other thing that we did that we knew was important was we had to put a face on the pain. A lot of times when people hear about something that they've not directly experienced, as organizers and as communicators, our job is to take them to the scene of the pain and to let them hear directly from people who are most impacted. And so by spending so much time in North Carolina, I was hearing the stories, I was able to tell the stories, and then I was able to help put reporters directly in touch with impacted people. And we did this week after week after week, and then we were also doing proactive pitching. The beautiful thing about Reverend Barber is he is nonstop. His work is nonstop. So that first event, we probably had two or three media stories, maybe a few more. And that, uh, that protest, it grew from 30 to the tens of thousands. And our strategy was to bring reporters to North Carolina so that they could see it and then to proactively pitch what we were doing in the state of North Carolina and outside of North Carolina. Well, this is good. Now, let me just stop just for a moment because you said something that we don't want to pass over uh, quickly. Uh, this first gathering, uh, about 30 of you uh, are on the state capitol steps and you're um, protesting uh, what is happening to African-American people in the southern state, this uh, state of North Carolina. So 30, 32, 33 people on the steps of the Capitol. And now uh, these Moral Mondays, I think that's what you call them, isn't it? Yeah, and, uh, and I just want to uh, just note something, that it wasn't just African Americans. One of the biggest myths of our times is that policies impact African Americans, but no one else. Mm-hmm. But if you pick a policy, even if the direct impact is African-American or people who are low wealth, it still impacts other people. And so we brought people together in a moral fusion movement, meaning we tried to help people understand how all policies impact all of us, even if that impact is unequal or uneven. Uh, yeah, and I, but I want to make the point that you grew from 32, 33 people in the steps of the Capitol to yes. thousands and <laughs> thousands of people. Uh, every week they come together on the steps of the Capitol uh, and uh, uh, make their voices heard. But this would not have happened without uh, extraordinary uh, public relations work, without uh, videos being sent out, photographs being sent out, press releases sending out, uh, without somebody working the phones and making sure that reporters from various media outlets show up uh, to broadcast this thing. So, uh, uh, congratulations on the work you've been doing to help Reverend Barber, who happens to be, let me add this, uh, a red letter Christian. Uh, every week, Shane and I are on this show uh, promoting red letter Christianity. This is a movement that has emerged as of late uh, to promote a a solid Christian message without calling ourselves evangelicals. You say, what's the matter with calling yourselves evangelical? Don't you believe what evangelicals believe? Our response is, we believe exactly what evangelicals believe. But the bad news is that evangelical has gotten bad connotations. It's a name now that has all kinds of negative baggage connected to it. 
when you say I'm an evangelical if you're white. And I want to differentiate white evangelicals from African-American and Hispanic evangelicals who are not the way the white evangelicals are. But white evangelicals are known to be the base of Donald Trump. And there's nothing wrong with voting for Donald. Well, that's a question whether it's right or wrong to vote for Donald Trump. But let me just say, uh, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat is not the issue with us. What we are dealing with is social justice. We are concerned that all people have the same rights and privileges in society. We're very anxious that people live according to the red letters of the Bible. On the United Kingdom, uh, very few of the Bibles have the words of Jesus highlighted with red letters. Here on our side of the pond, uh, you get an old Bible, the words of Jesus are highlighted in red. And what we decided to do is to no longer call ourselves evangelicals, but call ourselves red-letter Christians. By that we mean we're going to some of those old Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus with red letters and say, we are going to live according to the teachings of Jesus. I just came up with this very, very uh, interesting fact, and that is uh, that uh, Jesus uh, only says five times, believe in me. He says 87 times, follow me. The church of Jesus Christ is filled with believers, but very few followers of Jesus. If you mean doing the things that Jesus told us to do in the red letters, like loving our enemies, overcoming evil with good, uh, showing mercy, I mean, this would set us against war, against capital punishment, against a host of social evils. If we take the words of Jesus literally on face values, we become radical advocates for social justice. And we have on our show today a woman who has worked hard in this field. Uh, her name is uh, Jennifer Farmer, and she's a, a writer and an author. You just turned out a book uh, called Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget. Tell me about the book. So the, the book was a collection of communications case studies. And what I did is I thought for a moment and I said, wait a minute, I've been a part of major social justice movements and I want to document for grassroots groups how these movements have achieved success and I want to document the role of communications. A lot of times people don't understand that communications is an organizing tool just like any other tool. It is a tool to push a message and so, so in my book, I looked at uh, the work that Reverend, Barber, uh, Reverend Dr. Barber had done. I looked at school-to-prison pipeline campaigns in Florida and North Carolina. I looked at workers' rights campaigns, and I pulled out different steps that people could take to elevate the work that they were doing. And so I talked about the importance of being relentless. That means you're going to hear no when you pitch reporters. And, and by pitch, I mean to sell, but to keep going. I talked about the importance of engaging editorial boards. And an editorial board represents the views of a publisher. I talked about the importance of organizing events as a way to draw people in. And so the book offers practical tips that anyone can do uh, with very little resources to promote what they were doing. And part of my intention in writing the book is I wanted to make a case that companies invest in communications, and I also wanted to help people who were doing communications work. When I was coming up and I was working for um, labor unions, one of my bosses did me a huge uh, he gave me a huge advantage, and he hired a consultant to work with me for two years. But I realized that the training that I had, 
not everyone has that training. And so I put the best wisdom that I've had from my 17 years experience doing this work on behalf of racial justice and social justice groups into a book. And I offered that book to people who um, are doing some type of work for social good. Who's the publisher of the book? Barrett Kohler Publishers, and they're based in Oakland, California. Well, I got to get a copy of that book because uh, the Red Letter Christians movement is very much in need of, uh, of uh, expertise in the field of communications. And we don't have the money to hire people, but maybe if we got your book, we would be able to find out how to do good communication stuff uh, without, uh, without spending an arm and a leg. Uh, we're very small. Uh, uh, we're just off the ground. We're just beginning to move. But it's quite obvious that the Red Letter Christians movement needs what you're offering. And that is uh, uh, the, uh, the thing is that uh, uh, we don't get enough PR. Now, here's a good word. Uh, in early October, I think it's October 1st and 2nd, there's going to be a Red Letter Christians revival in uh, North Carolina. I think it's in Boone. Is it, is it, where is it? Goldsboro, North Carolina. There's going to be a, a, a revival, a Red Letter Christians revival, run in conjunction with you and Reverend Barber. Reverend Barber is going to be a key speaker at the Red Letter Christians revival. And uh, if you're covering him, uh, we'll be able to see you there and uh, shake hands with Definitely. you. Definitely. So and there. I'm, I'm actually helping to promote that revival. Okay, so uh, there. Barber Put the word out. Client. Put the word out. Yeah. <laughs> Goldsboro, North Carolina. Uh, not far from Raleigh, to be sure. And uh, we're, we're going to be highlighting uh, the Red Letter Christians movement, but we're going to be doing this in conjunction with Reverend Barber's movement um, and uh, promoting his, his justice concerns. In case you're wondering who I'm talking to, it's Jennifer Farmer an author, a writer, uh, somebody who has over the years developed expertise in the field of promoting uh, public relations events. Let me just say, uh, Jennifer, a lot of our people are, uh, in the United Kingdom especially, are running events all over the place, all over the United Kingdom, in places like Liverpool, Birmingham, uh, places like uh, Durham, uh, Durham, England, uh, places like London and uh, and, and they need to do PR. We're very lousy at PR. We did a great program uh, with the Red Letter Christians movement, getting it off the ground, but we didn't get the coverage that we should have had, and that's because we didn't have somebody like you or we didn't have a copy of your book. The title of your book, again, is? Extraordinary PR, Ordinary Budget. Yeah, that's really important. Um, and and so, the, thing, the thing is, if I can emphasize one point that I lift up in the book, is that you have to be relentless. So if you're not getting media coverage through events, then what kind of reports can you release? If reports aren't working, how many coffees are you setting up with reporters in your area? If that's not working, what is your paid and your social media program? Like how much money are you investing on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram to let people know what you're doing? And so if one, if one tip does not work or one tactic does not work, pursue another. And then don't be afraid to come back and try it again. Thank you for that good word. Um, the, uh, the thing is, I, I ran for Congress way back in 1976. I ran opposed to the war in Vietnam. I was an anti-war candidate. 
And uh, we ran a very, very effective campaign with almost no money. But uh, the people that were working in my campaign were people like you. They knew how to work the media. One thing they did, which I didn't think was quite right, uh, is this. I I was coming home uh, at the end of a long day of campaigning, and I was listening to the radio, and uh, it was a stormy evening, and the voice on the radio said, the Campolo for Congress meetings scheduled for tonight in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, are called off because of inclement weather. Whoa, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know of any <laughs> any uh, uh, campaign practice in, in Lansdale. So I got to the nearest phone. I called the headquarters. I said, what's going on? Uh, this meeting? Oh, that. Uh, no, there's no meeting. Well, I just heard you say that. I just heard on radio that it was called off. He said, well... You know, there are 22 radio stations in the district. We sent out word to each of them that this was called off. And so they made the announcement five or six times a day. And, uh, you know, 22, 23 radio stations, five times a day announcing Campola for Congress. We can't buy that kind of media. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's a kind of devious way in which university students operate because the campaign was only almost That's totally hilarious. run by uh, by <laughs> students. I, I just thought you could put that in your packet from now on. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. We also did this. Um, I was speaking all over the place at that time as a, as a minister and as a preacher, and I would go to a church and speak. Uh, and uh, uh, my wife, who was handling the press, uh, would wait for me outside the church when the whole thing was over. And she would write an article and say, uh, uh, Dr. Campolo, while speaking at uh, the uh, Lansdale Presbyterian Church, uh, uh, said nothing about the campaign in the church service because he thinks it's inappropriate to bring partisan politics into the pulpit. However, afterwards, a reporter asked him this question, and then she'd pose a question that we had all set up to answer. A student was along to take a photograph. We made sure to have at least 10 kids surrounding me because the word is if you got children uh, surrounding uh, the candidate, uh, that, and that makes the local paper, you can be sure that hundreds and hundreds of people will buy the paper because the kid's picture is in it. So everybody was happy. Every week we were in every paper because of this particular device. So there you go. And you're right. Uh, Barber does so many events. He speaks he so often. He's such a popular guy. He actually spoke at the uh, National Convention for the Democratic Party uh, back when Hillary Clinton was running a couple of years ago. Did you cover that event? I saw that. You know, at that point, I was not working with him, but I saw it. I was beaming with pride. I called him the next day to tell him how proud I am of him. And I think one thing to note about Reverend Barber, which I love, is that uh, do the work and put the media aside. If you are committed to the good work, the media will eventually come. You'll find people like me who are committed to helping. And so, but if you focus on the work, then you always have something to say when the media comes. This is really important because this is not just for politics, but uh, a right. lot of our listeners are religious and go to churches and churches put on events and hardly anybody shows up because they don't know how to publicize it. They don't know how to carry on the necessary communication activities. So uh, the book that you've written could be of a great help, and not only for political candidates and social issues, but also for religious events. 
Uh, so, uh, you know, we need to pay attention to good people like you who have entered into the communications business, not just to make money, but in order to promote issues that further civil rights, human rights, uh, lift up the concerns of the injustices in our society and what can be done to correct them. Uh, so uh, what you've done is very, very important to us. Thank you for being on the show today. We could talk to you more, and I'm sure we're going to have to have you on another time just to get more of the uh, uh, things that you've done. I'm looking over the list of the organizations that you've served, uh, uh, the National Center for State Courts Community Engagement. Well, there's a mouthful. And uh, <laughs> you're a graduate of the University of Rochester. I mean, she studied all of this stuff. She knows what she's doing. Her name, again, is Jennifer Farmer. And, and I want to thank all of you folks for listening. Um, this is really important. Uh, go out and get her book. Uh, the book, again, is Extraordinary PR for with an Ordinary Budget. You've got to do uh, a lot of publicity. Can you do it with very little money? That's the real issue. And uh, evidently, this book is going to tell you how to do it, and it's important that you do it well. This goes for church events, uh, social justice events, all the events that will further the work of the kingdom of God. Well, this is Tony Campolo, and I'm going to be signing off now because our time's running out, but I want to invite you to uh, be in touch and keep observing our website, redletterchristians.org. Again, redletterchristians.org. You'll find out all about our movement. You'll find all about our our leader, uh, Shane Claiborne. So uh, I'm depending on you. You come through for us. Blessings on you, folks. Have a good day.